Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Trekna Babble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And we are going to be reviewing uh, the season three finale of Voyager Scorpion, um, or Scorpion Part One, the actual title. Uh, this is a good episode. It's it's definitely I, I think up there in in terms of stuff happening, season ending cliffhanger. Um, well, it's a Brandon Braga Joe Minoski joint. Um, they've certainly created some decent episodes in the past. Uh, you know, Braga is one of the duo that has you know sort of done. As of this uh, airing, the more recent Borg stories, you know, he co-wrote uh, First Contact with Ron Moore. Uh, so, you know, he's certainly someone who's up on Star Trek action-y stuff, Star Trek Borg stuff. Uh, and, you know, we can discuss the merits of Braga during the podcast. Uh, so there should be every reason to anticipate at least a lot of stuff happening, and perhaps most of that stuff being entertaining. Um, you know, as far as the show goes, uh, I guess there were rumors already circulating. I, you know, I wasn't like on the internet checking Star Trek blogs or BBSs or something. I guess blogs <laughs> didn't really exist in a big way. Um, you know, so I was never privy to these rumors. I just sort of watched TV. Um, you know, so I don't know how these things circulated, but apparently there were rumors that there was going to be a big shakeup, that uh, two cast members would be going. Um, you know, so I, this was a relatively high-rated episode. Uh, you know, maybe they, the promo spots sold it well enough that people were jazzed up about a board show. Um, you know, uh, I remember enjoying it at the time. I remember thinking, I, I, although my feelings were mostly positive, I remember having somewhat mixed feelings, uh, you know, maybe feeling like this was a bit of a TNG retread in some ways, um, you know, having a bored cliffhanger, uh, and maybe having trepidations about Jerry Ryan. But anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I think I remember, I didn't remember hearing about the behind the scenes stuff until later, but I do recall reading that Jen I think we knew probably by about the time before or after aired that Jennifer Leanne was leaving at the end of the season. Um, what I later learned was that apparently uh, Harry Kim was on the chopping block, but then Garrett Wang got number 97 on like people's hundred most beautiful people that year. So yeah. the producers changed their mind, which, you know, that's a stupid, stu like, <laughs> That's a dumb reason to make a decision. Are you kidding? Like, well, and so I linked the the photo of that spread, and he was wearing like the most ridiculous sort of silver pants in that photo. <laughs> um, it was it was an it was an okay story though. You know, he talked about you know sort of being a an Asian role model or a sex symbol, and you know hoping that other Asian American kids uh, you know could sort of latch onto that and not feel unattractive or something. So, you know, that, that was nice. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I was completely oblivious to these sorts of uh, concerns. I, I guess part of that might be because I was uh, starting college at the time, you know, and so 
like maybe I was, this might be the point at which I was catching up on Voyager on VHS. You know, my parents would record it and then I would just sort of borrow tapes. Um, ah, the old days. Anyway, I, I went into it fresh and mostly liked it. And, you know, so I guess maybe we should start it here and see if we mostly like it. All right. I'm, I'm ready to go. All right, so we'll all press play simultaneously. Uh, and I'll count down. Three, two, one, press play. It's one of the shortest teasers. Uh, I'm surprised no one affiliated with Memory Alpha has actually done the math. Um, but the teaser is basically over right now. So 20 seconds, maybe 21 if you want to count the fade out. I think they have uh, a list of shortest and longest, actually. I don't think they've crunched all the numbers, but I think they definitely, like, like they note it. Like, uh, uh, I think, what is it, The Wounded or something has a uh, seven-minute teaser, one of the, or some next-gen episode does. <laughs> I think they note that one. But I, I agree. It's it, it's an effective teaser if you are if your job is to raise the stakes and indicate the Borg are the focus of the episode. Mission accomplished. I, I would say it's an effective teaser for fans, but maybe for a non-fan. Yeah, you know? who are the Borg? Why do I care? Well, it's like, what are these boxy ships doing, and why do I care that they just got blown up? I will right? say, I also got an... I was immediately questioned uh, when I watched the episode. I'm like, oh, there are two cubes. That means the Borg have more than one cube at a time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, I, I prefer that to the, the alternative. Um, I actually don't mind the idea that the cube would be such an investment that uh, they only that, that even with their resources, one at a time or a very like a very small number of these. Ships. I, I could I could deal with a very small number. I just can't believe that you know a culture that's so based on redundancy would only have one. You know, like I I could get them not having as many cubes as there are starships. Let's say. Uh, but Which is eventually like where we end up. A thousand times as powerful anyway. It's like no big deal. Um, if, they're, if they're bent on assimilating, you know, it would just seem like you'd need enough sort of franchises to you know, cover some territory. Um, it was a nice effect. Well done. Good explosions. Uh, yeah, good, uh, good particle work. Good uh, like debris stuff. I guess this uh, element to the series in this particular story was at least partially a suggestion of uh, Kate Mulgrew. She wanted to have sort of a, a sounding board, a confidant. And I got to say, I, I really enjoyed basically every Leonardo uh, appearance. Of course, they got a, a whale of an actor you know, to do it, John Reese davies um, who has played, uh, well, what's his name, the dwarf? Gim in Gimli in Lord of the Rings. He had Lord that part Rings, on sliders. Yeah. Uh, he does. Yeah. He commits well to the. There, it's not just that he's playing Leonardo well. He's playing the Leonardo hologram well. Like there's a yeah. There, I won't say it's it's not two dimensional because that sounds pejorative. But there's a like if you were to make a recreation of a historical figure, they would be a little too aware of their own importance. The st it's like when Data plays uh, poker with Newton, and Newton av avers that the Apple story is true. 
like is it, 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 it like the the recreational recreation of this historical figure would just be a little too perfect and he played that really well if that makes any sense yeah no, i get what you're saying it's a great set uh really nice good map window work. i assume they're not i mean i actually... think it's just a, a photo or a map painting or something yeah but... assuming they're not actually you know in tuscany <laughs> yeah they're not in padua uh yeah no it it's really well done it could just be california for yeah, all we know it's possible like it could it could actually just be looking out a window but they do have the red sort of uh tile rooftops um you know but a really well dressed set yeah lots uh, of it, detail it work. looks bigger than it is yeah. if, if you really look closely you know you'll see that the room isn't all, all that big the um the prop work is excellent there's just a ton of crap in there and it all looks handcrafted wooden mechanical um stuff yeah but then the, the paper it's not brown you know it just looks like relatively uh you know um bespoke sort of paper making yeah um you know great lighting too yeah and of course this is going to come into play in a later scene but um you know it it has a naturalistic lighting scheme that really makes it look like the windows are basically lighting the whole room which is well done i also have to say i like uh i mean i i go back and forth on whether or not they should have beefed up maybe chakotay or tuvok a little by make by doing this kind of stuff with them uh like janeway having these conversations with them but mulgrew is really good at it and it makes sense that she might have an, an affinity for this historical figure, given, you know, she is a scientist. Like, I think that's, well, that's a nice touch. One of the themes, of course, is that it's her decision to make. You know, it, it's that they're going to create a real big dilemma. And, you know, it she's going to have sort of different forces pulling at her. And so it makes sense. Yes, it's been a Janeway-heavy show. But, well, frankly, Kate Mulgrew's been nailing it for three straight seasons so you can't really fault them for you know going to that right yeah um it and it makes more sense story-wise for a big story than the doctor or chakote or you know so you know this could have been the end of the teaser right yeah it's weird it's like those two cuts were almost like two different teasers it's basically the setup for the episode. There's no going around it. Yeah, at, at this point, I just... I'm trying to think. Uh, First Contact had come out already. I think it came out uh, earlier this chronological year. Yeah. Um, I... This is the beginning of me being nagged by the sheer scope of the Borg. Um, like I said, I, I like, yeah, had there been like one cube per, you know, one to five percent swath of the galaxy or so, like, like just some, you know, because it's so powerful, it can cover, it can meaningfully control, conquer, assimilate a huge swath of territory. But by the time Voyager's done, and a little bit in this episode they do it, you just get the sense that the Borg cube is the galaxy-class starship of the Borg. It is their large go-to vessel. And it just... It, 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 
they had a lot. If I have one real complaint about this episode, is if even if it didn't do it itself, it certainly did not close the door on what I think are going to be the list of sins it comes to watering down the Borg that the show will eventually do. I think if they wanted to find the Borg home, someone should have written down on a piece of paper, here's the backstory for the Borg. We're, we're cementing it now, even if we're not dramatizing it, so that later episodes can follow it and we can find an origin story that is interesting and dramatically uh, you know, useful, but doesn't reduce the Borg's power as the ultimate villain, which I think Voyager ultimately does to them. This is a nice montage. It definitely... Now, for some reason, they've got the first contact phaser rifles. I guess they were, like, in a box. <laughs> and they, well, they, they haven't they, been broken out. Until... Oh, they, they haven't contacted Starfleet yet. I just realized they haven't had... No. They haven't... Uh, or at least they they haven't had any meaningful contact has trying to think uh this scene is actually building a lot of board continuity um you know assimilation to yeah i I remember liking this because that follows up on what we saw in first contact which was people being assimilated by the by the tubes yeah it's and so it's a to to be fair to voyager awful it's it's very 90s but it's good i like i like the gray blood cells yeah i don't mind that um, to be fair to Voyager as a whole, and this episode in, in particular, uh, you know this technical explanation of how the Borg work uh, is pretty good. Yeah, you know? I, I agree. It's it's not like you know midi chlorians with the Force in Star Wars. You know this explanation does not water down the Borg. Now, later episodes, of course, will lean on the nanoprobes <laughs> quite a bit. All right, so Kess is getting a vision. Uh, that sort of tower of Borg corpses, part of it was a kit bash of Borg action figures just stacked onto each other. I remember thinking uh, it looked like a video game, like something out of like System Shock or something. Like it was, it's yeah, a little, it's a it's little not, grim it's not for the Star best Trek. Graphic. It's a neat image, but it's not the best graphic. You know, I like the fact that. Uh, it's no longer, oh, Kess is having some vision, let's ignore it. I mean, I guess we've had the before and after episode in which they all paid attention to her sort of perception of potential futures. Speaking of which, uh, apparently Year of Hell was going to be the season finale. And then for some reason, probably because of the cast shift, they switched it. Uh, you know, so there were there were a lot of moving parts going on in Voyager. Uh, they weren't even really sure they wanted to to do the Borg sort of whole hog, like Unity just might have been all they did. I I like this scene. The visual is great, but I just wonder why they're shaking. I guess it's like subspace something yeah. or other the the it's effects just, work of the cubes passing voyager is very good oh yeah this is a this is a gorgeous shot <laughs> this is funny the, are they xeroxing voyager think good thoughts 
I guess, yeah. You know, with a Polaron beam. That think good thoughts line, it's it's that sort of cinematic catchphrasey type line. It's really interesting that they're going for that. And I feel like that has to be a brag a touch. Yeah. It was a neat thing. I mean, clearly they just got like a laser and, and brought it, you know, on the bridge set. It looked cool. And not in a stupid way. Uh-oh, she's going to the ready room, people. That means she's getting ready for something. So she's reading the classified Starfleet database on the board. I would imagine we have, we know as much as the Starfleet classified database. I should hope so. So, you know, they're um, leaning on this Chakotay Janeway stuff because, of course, that'll be a point of conflict later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Janeway's fatigue. Okay, well, so here she's going to be, she's looking at records from stuff like Wolf 359. So she knows more than we do. Okay, this is going to come up in a second when Chakotay talks about her intonation. I don't think she's giving a line reading that reminds me of Patrick Stewart. It's a tiny complaint, but there it is. She's certainly giving it the uh, the gravitas that Patrick Stewart might. Mm. What I want to know is how he's heard Picard. These other Starfleet captains, yeah. Are they? Do they go on like interview shows or something? (laughs) But yeah, Picard did the Sunday talk shows a bunch. I bet. (laughs) Meet the Federation press corps. That's. I mean, it's a cute line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Anson Hickman does a passable January. You know, one thing that was mentioned in Memory Alpha, the notes, was that the writers were trying to give Kate Mulgrew more Kate Mulgrew scenes. You know, she's got a particular sort of uh, delivery, and they, they called it freewheeling, you know, like a bit of verve, a bit of panache, I guess. And, yeah, I'm into it. I like it. It's, it's very Catherine Hepburn. There's a reason the woman yeah. played her in a one-woman show for some years after Voyager ended. It's it, it's it's theatery without being stagey, if that makes any sense. Yeah. No, I mean, there's still a lot of quiet moments, but it it's... Um, it's... I mean, hey, I don't know Kate Mulgrew personally, so maybe she's just like this, right? But uh, her delivery is such that, you know, you are to take it as dramatic and interesting uh, actually a friend of mine who's an actor uh took an acting class i think more than one with her and apparently i believe she is that is that is somewhat close to uh kate mulcrew's personality 
you know, so overall, I mean, we're we're about 16 minutes in, and they're doing a good job of building tension. Um, you know, they sort of set up the scenario. The teaser gave us, you know, the, the destruction of Borg ships, and, you know, we had Borg running from things, and now we have a Borg graveyard. And I guess this is what sort of, like, Braga's original idea that was the genesis of this. Like, you know, the way they had a star starship graveyard in Best of Both Worlds, he wanted to do a Borg graveyard, you know. Whether or not that was a story of the Borg were just destroyed because of the events of First Contact or because of something else was an open question. Yeah. Yeah. But and that, that sounds very bragging. Yeah, the I mean, field I, is a little dense for my tastes. Like, especially in space, everything should just radiate out from the point of the explosion. But well, uh, you know, small it, so depending on the explosion, uh, things do exert gravitational fields. And so, uh, you know, things could clump back together after exploding. That's actually one of the problems with uh, trying to destroy asteroids, you know, near-Earth objects, is that you could detonate them far enough away, but absent other gravitational interactions, uh, they just tend to reform. Okay, so here's our first look at the Species 8472 vessel. I gotta say, the CGI on Species 8472 is good. It shows its age. Maybe yeah, not it's as good. Bad. It's good for yeah. the time. Yeah. And I, I I have to say, I really like that their, their eventual name of Species 8472 is never supplanted by some apostrophe salad that we're supposed to read as a really super alien name. Like, they're so yeah. alien, we don't know their actual names, is a completely valid choice. I applaud <laughs> it. They're so alien, they have different vowels than we have. So, I mean, Unity had already put us on a Borg vessel. But perhaps it wasn't as, uh, I don't know, thrilling or... Yeah. Or tension-ridden. I mean, you know, they're doing a good job here. Uh, you know, smoke, of course, but also, you know, dead-ish Borg uh, drones. You know, and all the build-up as far as, um, you know, keep a lock on us and so on and so forth. And they've got their, you know, little wrist lights, too. I really Borg love the tees. I totally want a set of those uh, wrist beacons. Well, and if you had them today, they could be LED, and you wouldn't actually need like a wire running <laughs> running up your sleeve yeah. to a giant power pack on your ass. That's some good physical acting. Yeah, they've gone crazy with the lighting scheme, like. Like, this part of the ship is blue, and this is yellow, and there's some green. Well, I, I've never been, a you know, one to criticize gelled lighting. I mean, that's they've been doing it since TOS, yeah. right? <laughs> Where's the soft what, pink part of the board cube? Yeah. <laughs> what I appreciate, though, is that they're not overdoing any strobing. Yeah. There's going to, I mean, there's a little bit here and there, but there's going to be an episode of Enterprise that, you know, 
it will get a one simply for the strobing. Is it is it, it worse than lens flare? Oh yeah. I mean lens flare is just dumb, but strobing actually is a see, so that shot the shadow just doesn't look good. Also, it does it, it looks we it, it looks intentional and and that they never quite clarify. Like what would be the point of this yeah. totem of corpses for species eight four seven two? Were they sending a message? Yeah. Now, although the shadow doesn't look good, I do like the fact that they walk around it like that. Yeah. You know, it's it's in keeping with many holodeck effects that they do that are similar to that. I do kind of wonder about sending Chakotay, Tuvok, and Kim. You know, it's like 50% of your primary bridge crew. Yeah, well... <laughs> It's a conversation That's, I mean, yes, we can ask that question about the rest of you know, time. Another 600 episodes of Star Trek. And so they're paying off a little bit of the, you know, assimilation techno babble by showing the board trying to assimilate the thing. You know, I kind of am reminded of Encounter at Farpoint, you know, when they're doing this sort of oh, like the, organic the ship yeah. kind of stuff. And I suppose Tin Man to a lesser degree. A mention of the brain. Some nice lighting. Beltran looks really dramatic there. So does Chakotay know this stuff based on briefing or based on his experience with the board? Could be both. You know, part of the nice thing about the wrist beacons, it's weird that they had gotten away from them um, because you and I have both complained about cave episodes being too dark. And the wrist beacons create enough visual interest even in a dark backdrop. Yeah to you know sort of keep the attention yeah it's also the same good, with, like just, same with the the phaser rifle beacons too. yeah it's like a spot it's a it's an instant spotlight but even without the beacons you know they're lighting this well enough you know there's always like at least a third of the the screen that's lit and that's enough I've always kind of wondered what the green plasma ball graphic is supposed to represent. It means the producers had a gift card to Spencer's. Yeah. This feel uh, this feels like very standard horror trope, you know, the young one wandering off uh, unaccompanied. <laughs> well, he he senses something. Looks kind of like a retina. It's a it's a nice effect. Yeah, I like the spinal column-looking thing that forms the arch. Okay, that's the first glimpse we get of the species 8472 assimilation, I guess, or consumption, whatever the yeah, process goober. is. It's not bad. The, the actual appliances are good. I thought the real-time effect was a little lacking. 
Well, I think that was animation. Yeah. yeah. Um, th- it's going to look better on, on Harry. It, it remains weird to me that they're using Kess as, you know, like a, a part of a driver of the plot just to dispense with her two episodes hence. It's also extremely weird to me that she lasts to the beginning of season four. Like, that's just bizarre. It's like, yeah, we're going to let you go, but we need you to stick around over the break and be ready for another two episodes, you know, because we, we can't write you off right away. It's like, what? Like, yeah, why, why not? not write her off in the penultimate episode? I guess they want to use her... Little... Then she can have three months off or whatever. Well, I, I guess plot-wise, they want to use her to chuck Voyager another 10,000 light years, which, okay, fine, fine, it's fine. Well, and I wonder if maybe that was partly because of the shift from Year of Hell yeah. to... Yeah, was there some wrap-up? Yeah. The music cue is pretty good. You know, it's the sort of tense Voyager music cue. All right, so here's our first look at Species 8472. Uh, Do they have, like, tripod legs? It's it's interesting. The texture's decent. I like the sense of sinew. That's well done. Uh, Well, and it's reasonably well animated. Yeah, the face and eyes felt very um, Independence Day alien, and, like, the head of this alien reads as draw me an alien yeah i mean look i appreciate the the fact that technology has advanced enough so they can finally do a non-human alien on star trek yeah i mean i appreciate the attempt to make them an other i do and so yeah i mean may not be the most smashing success ever but it's pretty good some really nice space animation uh, effects there. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, the ship listing like that. I've always found the bridge a little too dark during red alerts. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, can we turn on the light? I, I can't read the tiny, uh, really narrow writing that are, that the Federation I mean, likes. it's a good thing everything's backlit, I guess. I just wonder if it would lead to problems if there was something really bright on the screen all of a sudden. The week will perish. So I, I think this irritated me. It's like the Borg had a catchphrase, and now so these guys have to have a catchphrase too. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually would have preferred if this Kess plot had been dropped and we had no interaction with them at all. I think that might have made them scarier. I agree with that. It's like we don't really need to know their ethos in any way but you showing us. Okay, this is a good scene. Um, the appliance work is good. Um, Kim is doing some good acting. Um, I, there's the, it'll happen in a second, the close-up of like the tear rolling down his face. Like That was all very well done, and with a lovely economy, it demonstrates uh, that Species 8472 is a threat to the to the Borg without a lot of exposition about it, like like little touches like um, 
I can't sedate him because the whatever is, is doing this to him is also counteracting the sedative. That's creepy. It's upsetting. Yeah. And it therefore makes them seem really bad. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, so, yeah, it, it's nice that they're establishing that this is a different sort of MO than the Borg. You know, it, they're not trying to assimilate. They're just, it's just like, like a razor blade, you know, through butter, you know, just sort of dissolving yeah. things that are not pure. Resistance in this case is far from futile. Doctor gets some good techno babble here. It's, I mean, there's well, and it is techno babble, but it is serving to, you know, sort of reinforce his character as competent and. And, and uh, they set it up with the discussion of the nanoprobes earlier, so it's not like it came out of nowhere. So I I appreciate that. It does seem like he came up with a solution really quickly, but it does set up the, it, it, this needs to happen to drive the forthcoming conflict. would be an interesting death were they to actually eliminate Kim you know dissolved yeah I mean as far as the pointless deaths go it would at least be a dramatically interesting one I guess Garrett Wang said he was kind of annoyed at just sort of being covered in goobers and asked to just lay there for you know two thirds of his scenes well yeah no actor likes doing coma acting It's a nice reveal. You know, the Northwest Passage is Species 8472. Look on Janeway's face is great. See, this might have been the, the one idea too, too far. Yeah, that they're from another dimension. Yeah. I mean, it... It, it doesn't really end up amounting to all that much. It's just like sort of idea salad. It's <laughs> it's just like Braga sort of barfing onto the well, page. Well, it's like yeah, if, they, if they live in fluidic space, why do their ships function in a vacuum? Like, why are their ships clearly designed to function in a vacuum? You know what I mean? It's just like, it is it is the one difference too many. Oh, you know what would have been fun? If we're going to have them come from somewhere else, why not have them be the aliens from Schisms? You know, like maybe clean that plot up a little <laughs> Except they were so lame. You know, it'd be like trying to resurrect the Ferengi or something. Yeah, you know, I don't love this, like, it's malevolence and hatred kind of stuff. Because I think aliens are better when they have an ethos that makes sense for them. Or even if, like... Even the Borg, you know, they they believe that they're making life better, you know. 
for the people and, and they assimilate. Even for an alien like uh, like the crystalline entity that didn't have a you know identifiable motivation, you could debate about that lack of identifiable motivation. Like if they just came screaming into the Delta Quadrant to destroy everything because they either didn't know or didn't care what they were doing, that's that's a thing. But yeah, like what like why would she be able to read the? Why would they have emotions that a telepath in our plane of existence could register identifiably you know it's always nagged me that i'm reasonably certain that the windows of chainway's ready room face the wrong direction to see warp that way well i mean i guess it faces forward you know it, it must be like directly to the right of the bridge yeah, but for the entrance is at the back right. It would have to like loop around in front of the view screen. It's just it, the window placement's just wrong. Like I think it's much and don't. No, worry. I, th I think it's right. No, I look, think look it at actually the works. Bridge. She walks out the back right and into the room, not to like a hallway into the room. Assuming yeah, the and so but what those I'm windows are to her left as she's walking into the ready room. But they still wouldn't be at the front of the ship, and I'm reasonably certain the. Uh, conference room has the same problem at various points and don't worry picard's ready room did it too for like the location uh like like the windows to picard's ready room should never face either going or coming in the direction of travel it, the star should move sideways and they don't always do it's a it's a tiny complaint this kind of scene could be annoying but it's being acted well and it's being placed at just the right time. Yeah, it's you know, a good quiet scene. It's like, we know that the captain has, you know, a dilemma. And this is the sort of pensive, uh, you know, brooding kind of scene that fits that mood. Yeah, I agree. I wonder who's responsible for which scene. You know, if this is a Braga scene or a Minoski scene. In some ways, this kind of seems like a Minoski scene. You know, I, I hesitate to compare anything to masks, but it's got that same sort of sense of interiority, you know, sort of people with imaginations, you know, sort of influencing yeah, yeah. reality. No, I'll give you that. This scene works on two levels, of course. It summarizes things for people who may not have been paying close attention, but it also, uh, you know, shows the captain in consultation, in, you know, ruminating. I do always like a good astrolabe. It's one of my favorite props. I like that he mentions prayer and it appeal to God. I don't think that's going to work for me. You know that I love that. You know, and of course it precipitates her thinking about making a deal with the devil, right? 
but it's not too cute. Yeah. Uh, I'll save this comment for when we get to the story. I think uh, Chakotay's parable uh, broaches the uh, the too cute. Well, apparently it is based on a real Native American. Oh no, no, yeah, Scorpion the Fox. I've, I've, I, I remember hearing it in in grammar school. I just, I'll say it now. Uh, it just, uh, I thought Chakotay telling her the entire parable at this moment of crisis to make his point felt a little ham-fisted to justify the episode's title. Yeah. So, uh, up until now, it's been an action spectacle, and I like that this is introducing, you know, it's um, in some ways similar to the dilemma from Iborg, you know, it's like weapons of mass destruction, you know, being introduced into a situation, but then of course there's this other element, it's like, you know, should you give you know, Mussolini, the atom bombs that he can fight the Nazis, right? Or should you give the Russians the atom bombs so they can fight the Nazis? Yeah. Um, I, I like uh, Bolana's line about the Borg can't understand what they can't assimilate. It's as good a stab as any. It's like one of the kind of intellectual gaps in the Borg for me were, why aren't they already just resistant to every form of weapon shouldn't they be able to like after assimilating so many phasers just kind of synthesize some grand unified phaser theory and i like the idea that because of the way they they gain knowledge they no longer innovate on their own that's an interesting idea i don't think it entirely bears fruit but it's an inch i'm glad they at least tagged it like why haven't the borg found a way to modify their own nanoprobes at this point they should theoretically know more about the nanoprobes than the doctor um but it makes sense that they don't they do not experience inspiration you know yeah no i mean i think they they don't spell it out here but I imagine there would be some kind of stultifying influence of collective thinking, you know, as opposed to having sort of radical individuals. I like whether or not the parable is good. I like that there's conflict between these two characters. You know, in the previous episode, worst case scenario, one of the things that was so fun about it was having, you know, Chakotay kind of be the villain, right? Uh, because it, it harks back to the original setup of Voyager, which was that you would have these two crews with, you know, somewhat different approaches, uh, you know, butting heads every now and again. Oh, no, I think the only thing that could have made this scene and scenes like it in this episode better is if there actually were that conflict between Janeway and Chakotay early in the series, because this feels like it upsets the established dynamic that we've had since season one, episode two, that Chakotay trusts and respects her and will follow her orders even when he questions them. And now, but I think this would be much more dramatically interesting if we had had a sense that we had just gotten to this point, that it had been earned, and this conflict threatens to topple that. That's way more interesting. Well, I think there should have been more conflict in prior seasons. I agree with that. But I think as a scene and as a, you know, sort of character conflict, it really works. Oh, no, it, it works and when Janeway own, yeah. says, you know, I need you with me on this, you know, it, I think it does 
you know, put a pin in some of the previous, not conflicts they've had, but previous, you know, it's like he built her a bathtub for crying out loud. You know, what's interesting is that she's the one who's proposing kind of the reckless solution and he's the one. Yeah, I was thinking about that, actually. It's like he made a career out of facing uh, implacable enemy consequences be damned. It's kind of interesting he's arguing the opposite now. I don't know how you could artfully work that in to have Janeway respond. You know, did the fact that you might precipitate war with Cardassia stop you from fighting them, blah, blah, blah. Like No, I think they certainly could have done that. I think there was an interesting opportunity to show that Chakotay has changed, you know? Yeah. I mean, he could say that this is somehow analogous to uh, signing a treaty with a bad actor, you know, who would then harm smaller good actors, which is what the the Cardassian treaty is, you know, making a deal with the devil and you know, causing bad consequences for people on either side of the line, right? So there were ways to do it, and they did miss that opportunity. But emotionally, this scene works. She seems genuinely hurt, you know, and not in a weak way. She's acting it really well. Yeah. You're the captain. What's really nice about this is that, uh, you know, this is going to bear fruit in the second part. It's like, does he stick with the plan? Yeah. And uh, I I like that this is played very quietly. Um, It's, 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 yeah, the look on her face says more than, than dialogue could. I've always kind of been mystified by sensors. <laughs> you know, just the ability to sense things at great distances, you know, instantaneously. It seems like it's skirting the boundaries of the laws of physics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, side, side, I'm in the middle of reading The Martian, this novel about an astronaut trapped alone on Mars. And they mm-hmm. really dig into making the science, as far as I can tell, very accurate. And it's super gratifying when it's like it takes 11 minutes for a radio signal to get to Earth. I'm like, oh, yeah. good. Thank you. I'm curious about sending a sample of the information. You know, it's like, shouldn't that be enough to just sort of send them on? See, that's what I'm saying. If the Borg have any capacity for independent thought and creation, they should have. They actually they should have arrived at the solution already. Well, so the Borg, as this sort of utilitarian entity, uh, if they were to assimilate a genius, it seems like they should All try to keep that genius somewhat yeah. individual and somewhat intact. You know, like they could have a, uh, you know, like a think tank within the Borg. Uh, the long shot of the chasm of the cavernous. Borg ship was good. The close-up is less good. Yeah, the lighting on her is not consistent.
I like the board walking yeah. across the catwalk. Yeah. She's doing a good job acting against nothing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that shot is good. And you it's know, different the than the classic uh, TNG one. It feels like I think they used elements from the long shot in uh, First Contact. I kind of wonder what a quantum singularity is, too. I mean, I know they've mentioned it with respect to Romulan warp drives, uh, but, you know, having done some research, <laughs> that's really not what singularities are. Anyhow, this is an interesting little development here. It's sort of Species 8472 Death Star. Also a pretty nice effect. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Jerry Ryan was not introduced in this episode. I think I'd always been a little bit fuzzy, probably because, you know, Jennifer Leon stayed next season. Oh, yeah, you know, it's fun. I was sketching out notes for the written review of this, and I think I was, and I was going from memory for a lot of it, uh, just sketching out stuff before I sat down to watch it for the podcast. And I think I had a section reserved for commenting on Jerry. I could have sworn there was a scene of Jerry Ryan being like, we will, you know, partially assimilate you so we can think and work together faster in this episode and not after the yeah, cliffhanger. Well, that's just in the next episode, which goes to show that it's a well-constructed two-parter. You, you, know, you don't really know where... Yeah. They're both tonally very similar. Yeah, yeah, it's a definitely a piece. Whereas, um, you know, Best of Both Worlds, it's like, you know, <laughs> suddenly it's a different season. You know, it's like uh, the, the tone is just different. Yeah. All right, so I would call the writing on this a four. It's, it's action-packed. It has good tension, good movement, good use of quiet scenes. The character interaction with Chakotay is good. It's all there. I don't think there's a... There's not like we don't learn anything sufficiently cool or science fictiony about the Borg or Species Eight Four Seven Two uh, to really elevate it to a five on the writing for me. I think it, it's a very good episode. It's just not a. I wouldn't put this in the top ten percent of episodes uh, in terms of writing. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, I some things feel what's the word um a, a bit pro forma you know it's like that they're being put in to seem as cool and as dangerous as they can be without really being driven necessarily by a high concept you know so q who when it introduced the borg you know, the line that makes that episode what it is is when Q says the Borg 
are the ultimate user, you know? And it's just like in that line, they give you the ethos of the Borg and why they're scary. Okay. And with, with this episode, it's like the weak will perish. Sorry. That's, <laughs> that's weak sauce as far as, uh, you know, a line that I'm, I'm supposed to be like dazzled by or something. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I think had we learned nothing about them, that probably would have done better. Like the scene with Harry in sick bay was that was far more effective. Yeah, but I, I I agree wholeheartedly that it's highly entertaining. So it's very well paced. It's there's a lot of good dialogue scenes. Uh, there are some good character interactions, especially Janeway Chakotay. Um. The Kess element feels a bit tacked on to, you know, the whole psychic thing. It, it feels like it's just being used for exposition. Um, and so, it, it's yeah, really, it's, it's mainly the Kess stuff that sticks out to me as, you know, kind of arbitrary. Um, but I do really like the Leonardo stuff. I mean, it's... Um, it's too bad that we never got a satisfactory resolution to the Lord Burley story. Uh, but one of the things that was nice about it was that it was this like interlude for the captain to sort of be on her own, to have her own thing where she wasn't always on, right? Where she had yeah. a refuge, which that's really interesting, especially as like a holodeck thing, right? You know, if, if we had holodecks, setting aside the obvious things that most people would use them for. The other thing that people might use them for 5% of the time is to get away from it all, you know, to really, to, to escape pure escapism. Right. And so the Lord Burley thing was interesting for that. And the Leonardo thing is interesting for that because of course, you know, what is it? One of our philosophers said, which if you Google it, you'll never find it. Uh, you know, nothing reveals humanity so much as the games it plays. It's it's not a real quote, and it it it's irritated me on many occasions when I've tried to look it up and find where the writer you know pulled that out of. Uh, anyhow, it it's a great idea, you know. So I'm a fan of the Leonardo stuff, uh, and so clearly Kate Mulgrew. Uh, does a whale of a job. But Robert Beltran also has some really nice scenes. Um, I know you don't love the parable, but that really isn't the main point of the scene. The main point is their conversation afterward. Yeah, I, I get that. Like I said, just hearing the whole parable, like, that. there's a, like, it was like an, in terms of the drama of the scene, once the parable started, I kind of checked out until my brain knew the parable had concluded because I knew what the he'd already stated his point before he made the parable and so it's kind of like well he's gonna uh, let me know when you're done it's it, it's like singing in tolkien i always just skip yeah. over it <laughs> it could have been condensed a little bit they they could have chopped it in half um i mean i don't mind using it as the, the source for the name of the episode um you know in some ways it's kind of clever but i agree that it dragged a little bit and that's really a writing thing. Yeah. He did as well as he could with it. Um, you know, the doctor 
had a lot of heavy exposition, and he did, uh, you know, Robert Picardo did a yeoman's job with it. Um, you know, so I think the acting is solidly above average, uh, maybe not transcendent, but, you know, quite good. Production values were, uh, you know, pretty excellent. A, a few seams showing here and there based on the time and place that the effects were created. But at the time, uh, it was definitely a showcase, right? Yeah. It's certainly not a bottle show. I mean, they've got a lot yeah, of yeah. exterior scenes, and they've got the new set with Leonardo. They've got the Borg set, and, you know, it's very visually interesting. Uh, yeah, I agree with all of that. I, I would say in the balance, I think overall this episode is a four. It is a very good episode. It There's not the, you know, the kind of reach for something grander we tend to want uh, in our fives. Um, but solid, well-earned, unambiguous four. Yeah, I think... You know, one thing that might have been interesting... And I don't know if it all could be accomplished in this episode. Is if this episode actually dispensed with the Borg, you know? And I'm not saying I wouldn't want Jerry Ryan to be there or whatever, uh, but it's like maybe the Borg were significantly weakened by first contact, and you know they they were ripe for being destroyed yeah. by another another you know species, right? And they could just be supplanted by species eight four seven two, and this would this would do a couple things. You know, first of all, it would preserve the Borg from being watered down. Uh, you could actually get into an origin as you go through destroyed Borg space, right? Yeah. Because you might you might never have the opportunity to learn the Borg's origin if they're still around. You know, being threatening right. and stuff. But if you come across you know, the shattered Borg homeworld, you know, maybe you could get their origin. And then uh, third of all, you know, you could um, have Jerry Ryan be like, you know, have Seven of Nine be this Borg out of place, this fish out of water, even more so. I mean, clearly she is anyway, but yeah. here, here she is, you know, completely separated because the Borg don't exist anymore. So, like, she's the last one, you know. Um you know, so I'm just trying to trying to imagine what could make this story a five. You know, and so I think maybe jettisoning some of the Kess stuff. Yeah, that and, felt really like she could see the future, but we didn't learn anything useful from any of the data. Like nothing yeah. changed because she had a premonition. She, she's just a she's just really a foreshadower, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> she sets mood. <laughs> She doesn't give us any reasonable information. She just tells us when to be uneasy. Uh, she's sensing deception, essentially. Yeah. Um, you know, so if, if that stuff had been jettisoned and that five minutes or whatever had been spent on really ramping up the, uh, you know, sort of huge culture-wide consequence kind of stuff, you know, giving us a little bit more... Uh, continuity backstory retconning whatever you want to call it you know to to really dazzle us so i i guess what i'm saying is i i agree with the four um i think it was it within 
spitting distance of a five, but you know there were a few choices among very many good choices, but a few choices that held it back a little bit. Um, you know, definitely the best cliffhanger so far in Voyager. Yeah, better than basics and better than learning curve. I mean, um, oh hey, I like learning. Oh, I curve, like learning curve plenty, but it's uh, not a cliffhanger. Yeah. Uh, there hasn't even been but a basic other was than bogged down end, by the fact there? that the Kazons suck ass, you know. I was gonna say, uh, Basics and Future's End are the only other two parters in the series so far. Yeah. So yeah, I would say, I, I would put this a notch above Future's End, and uh I, I think the the darkness adds layers that Future's End you know, happily Future's End is great and entertaining and fun, but uh this this digs in for like Well, you know, Future's End has something going against it which is since it's a time travel story you know that they're going to get out of it right yeah this does have a certain sense of stakes you know it's like things could really change harry kim is at death's door right you know maybe the board can be destroyed like these are all things that the fan would be you know sort of impressed by as you know real lasting changes right so i agree that the darkness um I mean, it's, it's happening in current continuity as opposed to yeah, a yeah, time travel that's, story. Yeah, that's, that's a good summation. So, the, you know, the time travel stories are, are fun, but you know they're transitory by nature. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this, uh, this episode presages good things. Yeah. You know, it's like, Things are going to get more action-packed and more serious and, you know, maybe more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, less episodic and more story arc-based, right? Which was something that helped DS9, too. Immensely, yes. Um, Okay, so now that we've reached uh, the end of Scorpion uh, with its eight and definitely a good note to end on, uh, looking, I'm I'm just uh, looking at the list of season three episodes, and uh, uh, as as of the date of this recording, we have not actually drafted our review for worst case scenario, and I think that's the only episode we haven't rated yet. So based on how we rate that, um, we're looking somewhere between a five, uh, five eight, maybe. Maybe a five nine, depending on what we end up giving that, um, which puts this season really is it that low? Yeah, uh, which puts this season above the animated series seasons one of Next Gen and DS Nine, season two of Voyager, and season three of DS Nine, and that's it. So this is of what we've rated so far, one of the weakest seasons by by hmm. a by a lot. Because um, yeah, the next the next highest rated is a six point one for TNG season two and a six two four for TNG season seven. So it's not even like it's close to those seasons numerically. And looking at the list, you can almost see this um, like just chronological progression. The series the season starts average, and it stays there. We gave out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sixes in a row. Fair uh, futures end gets fours. Then Q in the Gray, Macrocosm, good, solid, more sixes, and then starting with Fair Trade, we hit we hit a mushy soft spot, the the cavity in the tooth of uh <laughs> of season seven. 
Um, oh, there, there's there's a real dip. Um, basically, I mean, Darkling Rise and Favorite Son could take the sales out of season four of Next Gen, but yeah, that, that, and people have called that the trilogy of terror. You know, it's like three you know particularly weak episodes in a row. Um, so yeah, it, you know, it, yeah. I I mean, I guess. If you want to tell the story of season three, it's there are highlights, but a lot of it's sort of in a holding pattern. Yeah, and I'll say this: the highlights, even these, the the episodes we gave eights to were Future's End, Coda, Before and After, Distant Origin, and this one. And these are all good, very good episodes. They legitimately earned their eights. None of uh, Future's End came close. Um, I know you, you, you liked it a little more than I did, but it's not to say I didn't like it, but it's not, it, those aren't on the list of episodes where when I picture Star Trek and like my head just explodes a little where it's like, oh God, that was such a good app. Ep- oh my God. Like, like the kind of like just reverence and awe that other highlights of, of the franchise can inspire. So it's like, even their good stuff was good, but it, they never achieve great this season and i i think this is the season well did we give no tens in this season we gave, we, we gave no fives at all there's not even a nine hanging out there where we disagreed yeah. um and our only we only disagreed twice this season uh you liked unity a point more than i did and you liked real life two points more than i did um but even with those even if i'd given even if i'd agree with you on both we'd still be i think looking at a six one max um, I, I think this is, especially, like, even looking at that string of sixes, this is the point where I think TNG started to feel for me where you could start to see the kind of, um, we we did our Star Trek next-gen Mad Libs, and you, because just, th- I, th- I think, a con- like, I think the most common phrase in our written reviews of this season have been, this reminds us of this next-gen gener- episode, and that really starts to show here. Um, I think Jerry Ryan is thankfully an amazing actress and they really can dig in in an interesting way to exploring her arc and Kess, for, you know, as much as we like before and after, as much as we like to cut like Warlord was at least a decent episode, there has been some good spots for her. The character had kind of reached a narrative end. she's not dating Neelix, thank God. Um, we've seen her age now, so we kind of have don't even have the mind fuck of that anymore uh so the character had kind of run its course so they were at least shedding dead weight in a way i kind of think they could have they <laughs> they could have got her into both kess and harry and uh you know maybe really dug into the rest of the characters but the, there's stuff in this season i like there's stuff in this season i like a lot but there's nothing that just blows me away that e- even like 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 season one of d space nine still had duet that's an episode that makes me go oh, that's why these people got a job doing this professionally, because they can produce stuff like this. I'm hard-pressed to say even the stuff we gave eights to is the stuff that makes me, like, sit back in my chair, and I'm like, oh, this is why I like Star Trek, and this is what I show to people to justify my my love of it. And well, that, I think Distant Origin is probably the closest. Closest, yeah. Um, uh, and Future's End would be the second closest. Yeah, so but... it's just like, there's there's nothing dazzling in this season, and I, I, that's almost like that's almost like its greatest sin. E- even the weak Deep Space Nine seasons 
still managed, at least for me, to have episodes that were like, oh, God, there's a reason I put up with young Alexander Siddig's acting and um, Move Along Home and the, and, and the random Jake Nog plot because they can give me this other stuff that is just, like, really cool and I, and I will deal because until we get to the Dominion War arc, I'll take the crumbs because the crumbs are really good. Um, I will say, I think Voyager does get better pretty quickly in Season 4 if my memory is at all accurate. I think oh, they yeah. hit the ground that's running. My, that's my impression. Um, but uh, I feel like this... this so I, I tend to agree, you know, clearly we gave them the scores we gave them and I didn't give out any fives either. So, you know, uh, you know, it, it is the case that they're in sort of a, a run of either mediocre or slightly above average episodes with a, a severe dip in the last third, um, of the season, you know, but I do feel like a lot of groundwork is being laid in this season. Uh, especially Tom and Bellana. Yeah. You know, it's it's really impressive because it's been happening over like 10 episodes and it's, you know, just little bits here and there. And what that does is it you're one of the things that now I know is that you think they did an okay job building up to Wharf Troy, but come on. You know, it was totally out of left field. Yeah. And Voyager is going to commit the same sin later with Seven and Chakotay. Oh, no. The decision right? to do it was out of left field. The execution, I think, did as good a job as you were going to do in the non-episodic nature of Next Gen. Like, they weren't telling multi-episode. Yeah. Well, so in TNG, it was like two scenes prior to All Good Things, basically. You know, here it's like, you know, one scene every episode building 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 and it totally feels organic and the actors actually have chemistry you know whereas i mean maybe yes maybe what freaks and certus did you know soured me on anybody else you know together there but i really don't feel like dorn and certus had the same kind of chemistry uh that freaks and certus did anyhow uh robert duncan mcneil and Roxanne Dawson, I mean, they're being given good scenes, but they're also nailing them, yeah. you know? Uh, so that's a nice thing that's set up by this. I feel like the Janeway character, you know, is growing a lot. I feel like the Doctor character is growing a lot. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. I like watching season three. There are six or seven stinkers uh and i freely admit that but you know it, i really dig the characters so i don't know i think and i think i've said this in my reviews i've gotten to the point and season three kind of crystallized it for me of my ability to give a pass on a weak story because kate mulgrew and or robert picardo and or roxanne dawson and eventually uh and or jerry ryan are really good actors it's kind of worn down for me. Like, like I, I don't mind like having just rewatched season three. I certainly had season three on Netflix while I was cleaning my apartment many times, uh, in the last few months or, you know, doing paperwork or whatever. And it's, yeah, it's not a bad season. I mean, a skosh under the numerical middle of our scale is not bad. I mean, it's slightly less than six overall should not be considered, you know, atrocious. Uh, 
but it's comfort food. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it it is it is the Kraft macaroni and cheese season. It's just it's very familiar. It's very that uh, we've done it many times. Um, but yeah, so yeah, like I don't dislike the season. It's not it's not like season one of Next Gen where I had lots of questions and what the hell are they doing? Um, and admittedly, like even it's uh, weak the the trilogy of terror. Never offends me, except Favorite Son. Favorite Son is hideous and should be burned. Um, but, like, the <laughs> other weak stuff is still just blah. It's not even, like, awful. It's not Code of Honor. It's not Move Along Home. It's not... It's not... Uh, uh, what else? Uh, Angel One. It's it's not the crappier Loxana outings. It's just... Even their bad is kind of bland. It's like... It's... Looking back, I, I am happy that Jerry Ryan is coming. She will be a needed breath of fresh air. I'm kind of sad that it got to that point. Like, and you know, it's funny now that they think about it. You know, both Deep Space Nine and uh, Voyager did this. They brought on a new character at the start of their fourth season to kind of kick the show in the butt. And you know, we've analyzed how successful it is overall. Uh, but it kind of it, it does depress me a little that both shows. Ex- it wasn't like they were wrong. It wasn't like a non-Star Trek producer said, what you need is a new character. No, they were right. The The shows had kind of petered in many ways. Uh, I, I wish they had done more with the characters they had or found a way to tell, like... like. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that. Both series do it. And why did they have to do it? I feel like both series had to do it because... In their first three or four seasons, you know, they didn't commit to the premise of the show. Like, both shows started with a premise, and the premise was something very different than TNG slash TOS. You know, the TNG slash TOS premise was, you know, a ship is exploring and meets a new alien every week and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? DS9 and Voyager have these two different, more involved, you know, premises, right? And then neither really committed to them. DS9 didn't really dive into Bajor Cardassia, you know, and Voyager didn't really dive into, oh, shit, you know, we're on our own and the ship is falling apart, that kind of thing. You know, both of which probably could have worked well, right? And so then they needed a shakeup, and both shakeups were relatively successful, right? Yeah. Um, and as far as Voyager goes, they finally actually did do the thing where it's that they had a number of episodes leaning on the fact that they were alone, and you know, uh, there are good shows coming up. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I think. If you want to write season three's epitaph, it's you know it's it's not horrible, <laughs> but it's the last portion of Voyager's sort of aimlessness, I guess. Yeah. You know, yeah. The characters are good, but the the overall premise is not being uh, delivered on. Um, you know, the characters will continue being good in seasons four through seven, uh, but they'll be doing some more high concept stuff, you know, part of which will be actually, you know, digging into the premise. Um, 
I think the galactic reset button is something that, you know, has started to rear its head a little bit. It's like, you know, they'll, they'll do something and they'll have some kind of consequence and then nothing will really change. You know, it's like, up oh, and the ship is back to normal and everything's fine again. Yeah. You know, so like basics, for instance, you know, basics finally got us out of the Kazon. Good. You know, but it was like a serious deal. You know, it's like shit really went down and they were like off the ship and things blew up and Suter was dead. And, you know, okay. And then what happened? You know, they just sort of went back to Alien of the Week, TOS, TNG stuff, you know. And wait a minute, you know, I, I thought. <laughs> I thought we just had a really dramatic, you know, sort of uh, cliffhanger with with a lot of things that happened, and you know, so it, yes, I agree that season three is part of a trend that needed to be rectified. That said, I would never hesitate to just pop in some season three DVDs and just you know play all right because it works for me it, it's i agree it, it doesn't reach the lofty heights of some of the great seasons uh but you know on some level it's sort of giving me what i want it's it's my root beer it's my craft mac and cheese it's you know it works um you know i don't think i've been unduly charitable to it you know i've that should be clear based on our ratings, right? I mean, I only gave two episodes a higher rating than you have so far. Yeah. So, um, I would just, I'm never going to mind watching it. <laughs> Having rewatched enterprise, uh, since getting the blu-rays enterprise has a lot more problems than Voyager. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think anyone denies that. I think, uh, Everyone everywhere across the franchise would would probably sign off on that one. I just you know I don't I just don't get the Voyager hate. You know, it's like yes, there are stretches of mundane episodes, but that happens in DS Nine and even TNG. There are stretches of mundane episodes. You I know? know, like like I said, I I think this this season for me, especially the analysis for the blog, has really driven home. The sense, and the writers eventually identified this for themselves in the interviews, and it was really fun seeing it. Of, they must just be tired. They're putting in hundred-hour weeks, you know, forty weeks a year, on the same universe of material. I think any writer, uh, I, I think Shakespeare would need a day off. Like I, I think they, I, I think it was specifically for Voyager. No, it was Enterprise. I think in particular, they asked for a year off. Like, let us come back in a year with our batteries recharged, like go, you know, go write a Western, go write a romance, go write a sitcom, like just flex a different muscle. So when you come back in 12 months, you're like actually refreshed and have new ideas about new things and not just warming over the same core material. So I, I think this, the season for me as inoffensive as it is, has flagged that I think, the train may be running out of steam a little, and that's what the new characters were designed, hopefully, to remedy. Uh, that may be the case. I, you know, 
I feel like the problems with early seasons of DS9 and Voyager has more to do with not committing. I think there was a, a strain of conservatism uh, in Paramount, and I'm not a Berman, but to some degree with Rick Berman, you know, like unwillingness to too radically uh, mess with anything. And then both shows, you know, sort of were failing, you know? Yeah. I, that's not unfair to say about Deep Space Nine. There was, oh, oh, there were some really bad stretches in those, especially seasons two and three, you know? Um, both shows were fizzling. And what resurrected them is not just new characters, but a, a new focus, like a, a new willingness to, you know, go deeper, you know, uh, like tell harder stories, you know, have more action, have more consequences. Um, you know, they, they go about it in, in different ways. Um, but that, that's, that's what I'm getting, you know, from rewatching this is that it, it, it was sort of a shit or get off the pot moment. You know, it's like you set up this premise and then you just like dilly dally for three fucking years, not doing anything with it, you know, shit or get off the pot. And so, you know, I feel like the season four or five sort of stretch for both shows is where they decided to shit, you know, and not get off the pot to put it bluntly. Uh, So yes, season three represents uh, a certain amount of dilly-dallying, a certain amount of dithering, a certain amount of unwillingness to commit to interesting things and, you know, a, a predilection towards repeating things that were successful before, you know. And, hey, you repeat something that was successful before and you do it reasonably well, we're not going to hate it, right? Yeah. If you repeat things that are done before and you get it horribly, horribly wrong... You know, then we're going to hate it. Oh, yeah. This is still, be- I mean, way better than Into Darkness. I mean, leaps and bounds. Let's not, you know, let's not be overly harsh. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think that sums up the season well. It's, uh, yeah, so I think that's about all I have to say. Given the it is the what hour. it is. <laughs> it, I don't hate it. I, I agree that it, it's, you know, I don't love it fervently. Uh, but I don't hate it, you know. I it, I'm like slightly on the like side of neutral toward it. I yeah. Okay, so well, uh, an eight for Scorpion, an excellent note to go out on. Good episode sets up the next one pretty well, and uh, we'll get back to it uh, in hopefully maybe maybe three four months uh, after knocking out another season of Deep Space Nine. We've been pretty good lately. We we seem to have hit a a new clip with the review, so I'm hoping we can uh, we can keep that up. Yeah, we shall see. <laughs> Deep Space Nine season six on its way in. All right, have a good night, everyone. Yep.